You're listening to the plug with Neil Griffith. All right, Jack. Uh, thanks for coming on the plug, man. Good to good to meet you via Zoom. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, where are you right now? What time is it? I'm in New York. It's uh, 7 o'clock in the, uh, at night. And you're hustling I'm in the press. Well done. Finishing my day. I was Very in the nice. studio all day. And uh, yeah, and, and now, uh, yeah, this is the, the, the back end of my day. So how are we feeling? We're, what, a couple, two weeks out from release? A week? Uh, two weeks. Uh, feeling weird. Feeling uh, excited and weird and, like, um, yeah, like you've... Uh, putting out an album is like having a huge conversation all these massive things you talk about all these different crazy things massive massive conversation uh but you only record your side of it and then you just instead of being able to kind of feel how people during that conversation you just kind of have it with yourself and then release the whole thing um so it's like you don't get that uh you're not tailoring what you're doing to how people are reacting to it is your story similar to, to many artists in the last 12 months, especially with COVID? Did you plan to have this out at a much sooner date? Has it been delayed? Is this exactly how you wanted the rollout to go? The, the COVID didn't delay my album. Um, this is around when it would have, I, I wasn't finished. I wasn't finished. I wasn't finished. And then one day I, I saw it and I worked towards it and finished. Um, so it didn't change the release of my album and I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I think, uh, you know, people, you know, on one hand, you couldn't go play live. On the other hand, there was less stuff coming out and people needed music. So, so it, it's kind of either way. But uh, it, it, the sound of the record was massively influenced by COVID just because I couldn't play. And so it caused my band to play in a very, very, very different way while they were recording. And that, and that way is quite simply how you play if you don't know if you're ever going to play again. Exactly right. Like, when was the last time you got to play live? Once COVID hit what was the the bracket there like a solid six to 12 months oh longer i mean we haven't we played at the end of 19 and then we didn't play you know we, we would get together in the studio and stuff like that but you know trying to find a safe way to do it but it, it's a really really sacred place to the live show and the, the way we interact with the audience and the way we need it to be i mean i knew we'd probably play again but i didn't know if we'd play again the way we need to which is people on top of each other and screaming and sweating. And that's, that's what my audience is. That's what our, that's how we connect with each other. So it almost caused this, this anxiety and this frustration and this joy in the album. It's all kind of coming out in the way that it's being played, which became a character that almost feels like is pushing me through the album. I'm sort of telling these darker stories and the band is holding all this hope and they're pushing it through. And that, that shit was not something I, I could have anticipated to, it entirely you know, it's like saying, you know, I feel like shit on a cello versus I feel like shit when, you know, someone's like pulsing behind you. It's a whole different sentiment that, you know, it's like, well, then why is all this hope here? Maybe this story doesn't end as badly as we think. Change the feeling of all these lyrics I was writing entirely. So what's with the album title? Like, I love the Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. I read somewhere that it was loosely based on when you were growing up, being in New Jersey. Um, you know, New York is just over there and you're spending your Saturday nights writing and producing music. To me, it's like I get these phrases that ring in my head. Um, the conversation between New York and New Jersey is 
a huge part of the album emotionally and sonically but um i think uh this big the, the big meaning behind it is sort of like wh- where do we find the the joy you know why does all good have to come with kind of an evil eye or at least it does to me and a lot of the people i know why is it so hard to hold it to ask for more and try to get more and 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 be able to have that kind of hope like why is it always like this darkness that comes with everything almost like to equal things out like well you know don't get don't get you know don't ask for too much don't get too happy don't get too content with your life or else someone's gonna come and fuck it up and it's this sort of almost like plea like take the sadness out of saturday night like what if, what if we actually do that what happens you know i think we're terrified of i think it's easy to articulate articulate the terror of bad change you know what if i lose something what if i this gets worse a loss of love a loss of a person but i think it's hard to articulate good change what if things get better and i think that people have a I know I do a really hard time imagining that because the truth is change is just scary. And I wanted to talk about this other part of it. You know, well, what happens if you take the sadness out of Saturday night, Saturday night being sort of the metaphor is like beacon of openness and joy and anything's possible. And there's still this darkness there, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know what's happening in Australia and Sydney specifically right now, but we're in lockdown again and we have been for like four weeks. And it's because you guys did so well that now you don't we did vac- we did so fucking well that once vaccination rollout time came, we just botched that completely. So we were ahead of everyone, and now like U.S. and U.K. like their their vaccination rollout is is going really well. And just alluding to what you said before, there like the uh, I guess the trying to take sadness out of something, seeing change. Like when when COVID happened last year, it was very much a what the fuck is this thing? How do we adapt? now and i can only speak as someone living in sydney right now we're in it again and there seems to be much more aggression towards being locked down it's now at a point where it's like no fuck this we're not doing this again we did this for 12 months we need something else to do we need someone else to look forward to yeah i I, there's a feeling like that in america even though it's different but you know it's it started to you know kind of cases are starting to go up a little bit again and and you know vaccines are going well and you know, but it is still spreading and, and there's sort of this feeling of, oh, fuck this. Like, we're not doing that. Like, we did it. And it's interesting because no one sort of stops to say, well, that's not how it works. You know, like, like it, there isn't this, like, no one said, you know, science never told us, well, if you just do this, it'll be good forever. And it really speaks to this giant terror behind the idea of change. Like, maybe the world has changed. And what if it has? I mean, it, it clearly has, even even if we can get past this. And um, yeah, there's just this general cultural sentiment, I think, everywhere of just like, no, I did what you said I had to do. This isn't fair. Mm. It's not right. I, I did it. So now I get to go back out. And it's like, you know, you know, as much as we know, we all know the same science. You know, it's uh, it's real weird. It's real weird. It's, it's very like unrelatable because I get it. Yeah, of course, you know, you know, everyone wants to go do things, but. It just it is, it is what it is. Like yeah. you know, you can't you can't really deny what's happening. And with Australia, like we're we're now at that point where, it's, especially with this Sydney lockdown, it's like a, a realization of we can't go back to to normal until we all, as many people as we can, can get vaccinated. There's no there's no way around this. And the people like there are anti-vaxxers who just say, no, fuck that. We'll just we'll just keep going, and COVID can just be the second flu. And if you're yeah. sick, stay home. And it's like, yeah, but it's not that easy. That's that's living in an ideal world where everyone's doing the right thing. It's very, um, 
Like, I think we all have complicated lives. And I think it's best that, <laughs> you know, sometimes I feel like our the current times we, we live in is a little bit like the death of expertise. <laughs> um, I like the idea that obviously everyone can voice their opinion, but it's sort of remarkable that, you know, someone sitting on their couch who just has a frustrated feeling can have as much of a voice as a doctor who's studied something for their entire life. And uh, so it causes me to not be insular, but it causes me to sort of like really want to stick to what I know, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm in the studio so much. That's why I'm writing so much and just, you know, I'm an artist. I'm working on the things I'm working on. There is a weird pressure these days to not only have an opinion, but, but have almost like a hot take and then blast it out there. And it's like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I, I really try to listen to science. It's, there's plenty of, of issues going on out there where I'm just like, why are you asking me? Yeah. You know, the, the fact you're even asking me, you know, I've had it uh, come up a number of times where it's like, well, what do you think? And it's like, I don't fucking know. I mean, I can tell you a lot about songs and production and, and the way I live and, and, and how I make my work. But um, it's this idea of death of expertise. And, mm. and I think that's sort of the problem, which is we can be frustrated, we can be pissed, but there's a lot of experts out there who just study things scientifically. And if we care to listen they're there but if we don't there's you know someone on their couch telling us that it's just no different than the flu and to go out and have fun yeah i like getting to arguments with you know particularly anti-vaxxer people it's like why are we even having these arguments neither of us are a fucking doctor i'm just yeah. listening to the health advice i'm doing what they're telling me to do i'm not going to like broadcast my opinion as if it's fact like i've gone well, and well, done that's the sort research of, that's kind of how i felt about um I've, I felt a lot of things specifically from an American point of view like that, where it's sort of like, I'm not telling you, I know everything. I'm just telling you there are people who are, you know, communities of people who really understand things and have worked for decades and decades and decades to understand things. And, and they'd be interesting to hear from. And, and that's, it's how I feel about my career. It's like, there's no, I know what I know. And, and, and look, you can't, you, you can't become an expert in everything. And you can't become like a part-time scientist, you know? So, and I think that about, about in, in my own world, like you can't just be like a part-time songwriter or, or, or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. And uh, I think it'll be something that will crest out of. It's just part of like the infancy of the internet, but you know, in a couple of years or decades or whatever, we'll look back and we'll be like, wow, I can't believe we cared about someone's opinion that had no weight behind it. It's weird, like doing doing this podcast, especially over COVID, there's musicians that you'll talk to who, you know, they're on promoting an album that was never going to happen if COVID didn't happen. Or they're, they're writing something because of COVID. Like the, the pivot is the really cool thing. You specifically, obviously, you've been very busy with Bleachers. Uh, you have a, a Grammy-winning album with Taylor Swift. Congratulations. I know that's belated. Um, even watching that Disney Plus special, with you guys in that in that cottage that is like the the new experience of a live show like and you can feel watching that special that you guys are like genuinely stoked to be there it's amazing it's the first time we got to be in the same room first people i got to play music with since covid but but i think we get something culturally a little mixed up which is you know when all this started going on everyone was like well this is it this is the new live show it's a, we're streaming shows you know you want to stream your tour and i was like no i don't want to stream my tour I was like, you know, what, what we did there, or I've done things on the roof of Electric Lady with bleachers, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's a performance. And even if it's live, or even if it's taped or whatever it is, it's not 
a live show. And I think one thing that I think made people actually kind of sad, and it's kind of why I loved Long Pond so much and, and some of the other stuff I've been doing is because, you know, it, it wasn't in place of a live show. It, it was, it was a, it was a performance that was intimate and in a room and you can't take the place of a live show. Um, but I think it's why I kind of never wanted to do one of these sort of like totally live live stream type things because it's like, well, it's not, it's not, it's not that we're you're at home. We're not feeling each other. You know, the, the conversation and energy that gets traded at a live show is a very, very, very specific thing. Um, you know, but that's also kind of like where we're at, you know, okay. That, that bothered me a little bit. Okay. COVID's happening. Well, this can't stop for one second. So now we're doing this, this, and this. And it's like, well, you know, it did stop. And it was, it was emotional. It was horrible. We didn't get to gather and, and have shows. That, that's heartbreaking for, for a lot of us. In my corner of the world, that was an incredibly emotional, intense thing. And it wasn't like, oh, we'll just do this and we'll do this live stream. It's like, we can make really beautiful things. Um, but that's something worth mourning. It's something really worth mourning and really worth think, thinking about and reframing when it does come back, how it's going to feel and, and look and, and function. Do you guys, you've got a tour planned in North America soon, don't you? We do, and it looks like it's going to happen, but I'm also kind of, you know, these days um, everything seems really fragile, which is scary, but it's also kind of beautiful. And you grow up as an artist and touring is like this rock solid thing. Everything else is fragile. You know, you might not get this, 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 and this, but if you just fucking go out there and you play your ass off and you find your audience, then you can have each other forever and no one else matters. And the radio and the press and all this crap and the TV, nothing matters. And so COVID did this weird thing where when it happened, I was like, oh, of course this is fragile, but it never occurred to me. In my corner of a, as, a, as an artist, I always thought touring is just the realest, most rock solid thing, no matter what the fuck is going on in the world, we have touring. And then when it happened, I was just like, you, you, you fool, you idiot. <laughs> Every, everything's fragile. Are you are going to fucking die. I mean, everything's fragile. And I think that um, breaking down this, these things you know, like I said, in my corner, it was touring. You know, I, I wasn't too bummed that I couldn't go to the bar or whatever. Like, that's just, you know, I, I have certain things I enjoy. But for some people, it's a huge part of their life or to, you know, play sports or whatever it is. You know, breaking down these things that seem like they weren't fragile and proving that not only are those things fragile, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. Everything is fragile. If you can hold that the right way, it can be beautiful. Um, but I think it's easy to hold it the wrong way and say, oh, fuck, what the fuck? I'm angry. <laughs> but I, I think the, the growth in all this comes from saying, all right, you know, don't count on anything. And therefore, you know, count on the things that are happening right in front of you and the things that are happening today and not tomorrow. And I hope my tour happens and it'll be beautiful if it does. But if it does happen, I'm going to play every night like it's the last one. Yeah, fuck. Well, that's the, that's the the really interesting with you is because this this last twelve to eighteen months you've been extremely busy despite the fact that you can't tour. What is this story about? Obviously, you, you're producing a lot of stuff now with Lord and Saint Vincent and Taylor and all the rest. What is this story that Taylor was really the first person to say? No, no, like I I want Jack to produce. No one saw you as a producer. Which saying that sentence out loud in 2021 just sounds ridiculous. What was true. the well, mindset back then? Well, it, there's certain things, you know, if, if you're a songwriter, um, you write songs and that doesn't matter if people like them or not. You write songs and your songs are the proof of life. If you're a performer, you could probably find a place to perform an open mic night. You can go and 
play some shitty place and no one comes. And it doesn't matter if you're in an arena or some tiny place and no one gives a shit. You are literally performing. You are doing the act that gives you life, right? But if you're a producer, you kind of need someone to let you into the room <laughs> because I was always producing my records and, and stuff like that. But that's sort of, it's weird. It's seen in a different way. It's seen as sort of like, oh, you're just making your own stuff, you know? this real sort of core of what it means to work with someone and produce records, you, you kind of need them to, you kind of need them for proof of life. Otherwise it's a little bit of a delusion. Um, you know, kind of like an actor with no play or movie to be in. Like, obviously you can run lines, but like you need some of these structures. So I, I, I was, you know, kind of, kind of recognized as an artist and then started to get kind of, known as a songwriter, whether people liked it or not, you know, and I could find some people collaborate here and there, but I always loved, uh, I've always been a producer. I always would produce everything. And then it would just get handed off to someone. It was just this kind of heartbreaking moment after I would collaborate with someone where it's just, people be like, Oh, I love the way it sounds, but you know, like the, you know, it's just all the people want to go with this person or that person. It's funny. Now I see it from the other end. And, uh, I did a song all out of the woods with Taylor and I, worked my ass off on it and I loved it. And I remember one day she was like, great, it's going to come out on this day. And I was just kind of waiting for someone to be like, and this big shot's going to produce it. And, and that says everything about her. And that says everything about where she's at and why she's there is she's uh, in, in conversation with no one, but her gut feeling. And obviously when that came out, it was, you know, it was the thing that people kind of needed to see on the resume when I said, Hey, uh, I can produce this song that I worked on, you know, went from, well, who are you to sure. If you did that, you're good. And, and, and look, it's not cynical. It's, you know, I could see her and be like, Oh, fuck those herbs who didn't believe in me, but it's not that it's, you know, they people industries of art are weird. There's all this money flying around and no one even knows what's going to work or not work. You know, it's sort of all based on feeling. So everyone especially on that side of just trying to just be like well what has that person done can we trust them mm. um, without, and, and you, you get a lot of people who don't have a heavy gut feeling about the actual work yeah without stroking your own ego when taylor had that conversation with you, she's like great we're gonna put the song out now and you're like oh shit this is my chance did that scare you a little bit or were you like finally someone's giving me a go at this no i i i love uh i loved what i was doing i, I wouldn't have done it otherwise you know i i that's I loved the way it sounded, the feeling, the emotion behind it. I mean, you know, there's certain things you pick up along the way, but at the end of the day, it's like, you're just trying to capture something. Mm. Um, and uh, no, I, I always, not in an egotistical way, but I just, you, you make things that you want to hear out there. You know, I didn't say it. Someone, someone said it a long time ago, but like, if you, you know, that's sort of the highest level of making work. You know, you don't do something you heard already. You don't do something that you think you should do. You have a feeling that you wish there was, this thing out there and what is that thing well it's how you sound it's the thing in, inside you and then you make that and then you love it because you did it and because you hopefully got it right if you don't love it you either let some bad voices in along the way and fucked it up or you're dealing with some self-hatred but you kind of got to like put all that aside if you make the thing that really touches you um 
then you kind of can't go wrong. And it's not an ego thing, but oh yeah, of course I loved it. I would just listen to it and love it and think, man, I wish this was what was on the radio. I wish this was over here. I wish this was what I was hearing at the concert hall. I wish, you know, that's that's why I, I make things. It feels like folklore and, and Evermore really captured a moment in time. And you you three really tapped into something there. Do you think that's that's something that's that's going to continue moving forward? Was that were those albums what they were, and that's kind of just moved to the side now? Oh, you can't you can't know. I mean, you can make plans, work on things forever, but there comes a point in any album making process where you actually start to see it, and that's when it's happening. But but I also. Um, I kind of only like to talk about things that have, that have happened, especially if it's my work with other artists, because uh, it's really for them to, to, to share any, any bits about the future. Okay. Well, what about Lord? Because Lord, I don't know if you've been reading your own name on Google lately. She's just called you her songwriting husband. That's sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I echo the sentiment. Um, I, uh, but yeah, that's another one where it's like that, that album is coming out in August. So it's kind of, hers to deliver and then based on what she decides to share about the work I kind of follow that lead of like oh if she's she's telling this story cool I'll tell this story but you know these are very very sacred it's a very sacred process to make albums of people and um you know when it's a bleachers album I get to decide which stories and which sort of myths get get let out the door and which are just for the people who made it and and so when I do someone else's uh work with them I only follow that lead you know it's not it's not fair or like there's no dignity in me letting things out the door that uh, they might not want out there. And that's, yeah. and that's, and that's also the beauty of it. Like there's a lot of mystery in, in album making and people hear it and then they maybe hear some interviews and catch some stories. And, but, but the truth is, you know, there, there's so much of the process that is just very, very personal and sacred. And if you really, really want to know what the hell is in an album, you have to live with it for a long time. So I think that's funny when everyone's like, well, tell us what this was like. I was like, well, just go listen to the album for, <laughs> for, for many days in a row and you'll know way more than I can even tell you. So what, what does Bleachers mean to you in 2021? I mean, we go back to, to when you guys started. A lot has happened between now and then. You're a very busy man, both as a songwriter, producer, and artist. What does, what does this album mean for you in, in 2021? What does the band mean? Same thing it's always meant. I mean... I, I'm not being critical about your question, but but uh, the success of something doesn't affect the intention of why you do it. And if it does, then, you know, that's that's too bad for not only you, but the people who have to experience it. Um, you know, I don't I don't imagine myself as busy or riding a wave or anything like that. Like since I was probably 10 or 11, I've, you know, had the impulse to be in this conversation through songwriting is sort of something you have to do. It's a bit of a way of life. You kind of have one foot in, one foot out. You're living, but you're clocking and you're thinking and framing, but you need to have experiences to do it. It's a a weird, interesting way to live that can be a little maddening, but you can find some peace in it. I've always loved sound and sonics and hearing songs and figuring out how to make them, touring and expressing that. These are all different loves. They just happen to be in the same field. You know, the love of touring is not the same as the love of songwriting. The love of the studio and production is not the same as the love of performing. You, you know this because different artists might hate one and love the other. I happen to really love them all. Um, but uh, my body and my mind do what I've always done. Uh, they just, you know, if I'm in a room with someone and we're alone, it, it, 
it, it's interesting to do this work because no matter how big the work gets or how successful or, or wide it goes, it really doesn't shift the way it's made. You know, so like if you make a record that only a few people are going to hear, you make it in a room with a friend. And if you make a record the whole world is going to hear, you probably make it in a room with a friend, or at least that's how I do it. And even if that room is kind of a nice studio, you know, that's just stuff. At the end of the day, there's two people in the room. Um, and then even the live show, it's like as weird as it is to say that, you know, playing a small club is no different than playing in an arena. It kind of isn't. Your, your, your intention is exactly the same. You're going up there and you're going to create a moment and connect with the people that are in front of you. Um, so it's funny how like you're, you're sort of literally doing the same thing, but technically the stakes have changed so much, but also not at all because the stakes were always so high because you were in this remarkable competition with your artistic self. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting because I, I guess like sort of there's uh, the way things are received and perceived, but, but my day-to-day -day is being in a room like the one I'm in now, writing and recording. Uh, sometimes I'm alone, sometimes I'm with another artist. Kind of doesn't matter who that artist is because it's, it's such kind of like human work that it boils down to two people trying to figure something out and capture emotions. Um, and then when, yeah, it's, it's odd. It's, it's odd because I'm kind of on this very straight path, even though it's gotten maybe more like noteworthy or something. Yeah. Is a good way to describe it? <clears throat> yeah, well, it sounds cool. Like you sound like you've got that good grasp on the, the success doesn't impact what you are doing or trying to do or have done. Sometimes that pressure of we, you know, you release a really successful song or an album and then a band or an artist might start to feel a little pressure to, you know, replicate that success you seem to have it in a small box where it's like whatever it's fine it's not no, my intention it, is the intention it's there it's just I'm, i you know live i feel tons of pressure but it's in this different sort of artistic box which is the whole place where you live of just sort of where am i going with this how am i getting it across is it really like you're asking these, the question i'm always asking myself is like this is just like you're just looking for that feeling of where you're just like, oh, this is me where I'm at. This is me in the future. This is the sound. This is the sound I've been thinking of, like the sentiment, the lyric. But all that other stuff, it's just, I think, I think it's got to do with your daily practice. You know, if you spend your life um, doing something, then it sort of gets in the bone, right? So if you're writing a lot and you're recording a lot and you're playing a lot and, you're, and you have a specific group of people that you're doing it with and you all think the same way about it, um, then it's hard to think about some of the other stuff because it's not like in your your immediate culture um and i think that's really important not for every human being but specifically for artists to consider how fragile the process is and to, and to consider who you're surrounded by and what you're surrounded by and how that's going to seep in and make sure it's, you know it's kind of why i sit in rooms like this with like all like i got all like like childhood stuff and all this like crap everywhere because like it's almost like a prayer to to like let the things that are the most me enter me at all times instead of uh being surrounded by i don't know um you know if you like look at instagram too long you can you can feel yourself hurting a little bit so you put it down and you go back to the things that give you life don't take life and i think that that's something everyone can relate to but from a songwriting point of view and artistic point of view i mean you need so much armor do you want to open up that scope a little bit with who you work with with the style of music you make like just for a very loose example would you welcome the opportunity to work with slipknot that's a loose example, by the way, not specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, Slipknot does one of the best live shows in the world. Uh, but I, I don't, I mean, I've worked on so many different things. I think that, uh, you know, everything I do to me sounds like different planets, like like very intensely different. Um, yeah, I'd work, I'd, I'd work 
if it if it if I felt like I could be valuable and was on the same journey as the person, which is really important, then I then I wouldn't care what the style was because you know there's a there's like a bigger fish to fry like the style or the you know what it, what it's dressed up as or where it fits in is is, is kind of exactly that it's what it's dressed up as it's just the outfit that's coming in you know but the, what really makes great albums great bodies of work is this you know sort of untouchable sentiment that's living in there that's a lot bigger than than how it actually sounds <clears throat> all right man well, we gotta leave it there i mean until to wrap it up now so I thank love you for talking, your time, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, as soon as i can get down there let's have a longer one yeah definitely in shit when next year 2023 as, maybe as soon as, <laughs> as soon as possible but hang in there and wherever this takes us i uh just hope i can come play soon <laughs> yeah definitely thanks man and congrats again on the album it's incredible thanks and, for, um, yeah thanks for chatting Neil. looking forward to release man thanks a lot take care bleach's new album take the sadness out of saturday night is out on july 30. Plug Podcast is proudly sponsored by Audio Technica. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your preferred podcast platform, and follow us on Instagram at the Plug with Neil Griffiths to stay up to date with episode releases and giveaways. Oh, 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 o